thanks to our sponsor, Orchestry. Don't be fooled. Microsoft Teams and SharePoint are difficult. Microsoft Teams, when simply turned on, can be unruly and yield endless sprawl. SharePoint causes constant frustration with user interface and permissioning challenges. End the chaos and harness the full power of Microsoft Teams, SharePoint Online, and Microsoft 365 with Orchestry. Orchestry is the work-made simple platform that empowers end users through controlled self-service provisioning while delivering the actionable insights and lifecycle management your IT administrators need to enable remote and hybrid work productivity without locking down the powerful capabilities of Microsoft Teams and SharePoint Online. See why so many are claiming Orchestry to be the must-have Microsoft Teams management tool of 2021. Get your free access to Orchestry with full featured trial at orchestry.com and tell them the Microsoft Cloud Show sent you to get the all the friends of the show perks. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 441. Today, AC and I are going to look forward to 2022, recorded live January 5th, 2022. This episode is brought to you by ShareGate. Microsoft Teams can be a great tool for your organization. That is, before your users make your environment messier than eating a hard shell taco. And that's where ShareGate comes in. Their user-friendly tools automate the tedious daily tasks involved in migrating, managing, and securing Microsoft Teams so that you can maintain a safe and productive environment without locking it down. Head over to ShareGate.com for your free 30-day trial and transform the way that you manage your Microsoft Teams. Back to the show. AC. What's up, man? Happy New Year. Likewise, likewise. 2022. I mean, I never thought I'd make it this far. How about you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a loaded question, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm nah. not joking. I'm not one of the people that looks back at 2021 and saying like, oh, it was a crap year. I'm looking forward to moving forward. It seems like every year we finish a year, someone's like going, that year was crap. We need to look forward to the next one. I'm like, no, it was different. It's just different. It's not that. So I don't have, I don't have that kind of attitude, but it was a weird year. It I was just say I totally disliked it. Yeah, but the last couple of years have been weird, right? I mean, that's the thing is it, yeah. it's been so new for everybody what we've been going through, but with the pandemic and, and all, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to the new year. I spent the month of December looking back at the uh, work-wise, personal-wise, at the previous 12 months plans, got real, real motivated, got a, got a lot of stuff done and planned out for next year, talking a little bit about it. We took last week off from recording, or I guess two weeks off, we took, we took a week off from recording and publishing a show right around the new year. Man, it was nice to just have a break from everything. I had a lot of fun like the last two weeks of the year too. I don't, I don't know what you did. What did you do for New Year's Eve? New Year's Eve was not much. We were pretty pretty chilled out. But over Christmas, we got together with friends. We had friends come stay over with us actually, which was kind of cool because we don't have family in the US. So mm-hmm. it's like in New Zealand, Christmas is sort of like American Thanksgiving. Mm. Like you do Christmas dinner or you, at Christmas dinner is kind of like Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and you get together with family and things. And so that, we miss out on that for Christmas. And so we get together with friends instead. They come stay over. The kids hang out. They, we do Christmas morning together. And then um, they go off to their family for Christmas Day. And then we went off to our, we, we like to call it our adopted family because it's a bunch of other Kiwis around the area that don't, also don't have family in the area. Mm. And, um, and so we get together and do Christmas Day and dinner with them. And it was really, it's really fun. Really cool. fun. Very cool. Our Christmas was with my family, but our our New Year's Eve was supposed to be with two other families in our neighborhood. And one of them, the morning of 
New Year's Eve, bailed on coming over uh, with the other two families because one of their kids who is a sophomore at Clemson, um, he's in the marching band and people he had been hanging out with had pop positive that morning. And it's a family of, let's see, uh, two parents, four kids. And I be- as of a few minutes ago, they've now, what we're like, uh, this is the no, January the 7th. So now we're eight days past when the first kid, when they first thought, found out that, you know, people they were with were positive. And uh, thankfully they didn't come because now four of the five in the family have, are sick. Ouch. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's now, yeah, all four kids are sick. The adults are the only ones that are not sick, but we ended up getting together with this other family and we had a great New Year's Eve, just playing like card games. Their kids had gotten an Oculus Quest 2 for Christmas. Mm. And that was the first time I'd played with one of those. Since then, my kids pulled their Christmas money together, Christmas gift certificates. They bought one and now I've been playing with it. I've only played two games for it. I think it's called Super Beat Hot Saber? and Beat Saber. Yeah. Yep. Super Hot's like a it's like a first person shooter thing. Yeah. But with a twist. Man, yeah. Yeah. It is really well done. I'm yeah. I'm very impressed with it. It's pretty cool. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Well, this will go to some of our conversation today. Yeah. VR and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, it's impressive. I got into VR not that long ago for Flight Sim and I was blown away at how far the technology's come. Yeah. And now I can, you know, obviously, you know, Oculus has been around for quite a while. But um, yeah, that I think you're getting into it at a good point, right? The tech has come far enough that it's kind of not so nerdy anymore and it's quite enjoyable and the experience is pretty good. Yeah, so, I love how... I love how Meta's done the or Facebook Meta, whoever. I love how they've done it with the with the Quest, where you don't have to, or the Quest Two, where you don't have to have it tethered to a laptop or right. computer. Right. It's completely disconnected. You manage games either through the device or through your phone, and yeah, it's. I mean, and three hundred bucks. It's like it's a great price point. I'm, it's incredible, really. Like, I was talking to my son, and he's like, "Man, just three years ago, you were begging me for a gaming machine so that you could do VR stuff. We're looking at how much it costs, and just the headsets were like eight hundred bucks, like." Yeah. Now you and your sister, your 12 year old sister just pulled together some gift cards from Christmas. You didn't have a ton of money, but you pulled together 300 bucks and you got this device that now we can all use. That's pretty so, cool. They work together on it. That's nice. Uh, yeah. It was even our suggestion. They're like, they wanted to do it, got together. That's awesome. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So they should um, rent it out to their parents. <laughs> well, and that's the problem, right? So I want to buy Make a game money or two. Back. <laughs> I want to play a game or two, but it's tied to his Facebook account. So I have to sit, if I buy it, it's going to ding him. It's like, you have to let me know ahead of time so that I know that I expect some money coming from you. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, well, how do, I, how do I find the games? Because you need the app. And I'm like, does the app have to be tied to the account? He's like, yeah. I'm like, can I borrow your phone so I can look at the games? So, <laughs> oh, the roles have reversed. Totally. That's awesome. That's totally. awesome. But uh, yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Cool. Cool. Well, this show is going to be all about looking forward to 2022 and in particular, focusing on wishes for 2022 and goals for 2022. Mm. So wishes can be a little more, you know, hopeful, a little more ambitious perhaps. Mm-hmm. And then goals are more like what, what we want to achieve, what we want to work on in the next year and, and sort of do more, you know, ourselves. So these are always fun. I think the last show we went through, was it the last one? Yeah, yeah it was. We went through, you know, looking back at previous years, wishes and goals and how we went or how I didn't win. <laughs> 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 and uh, the, and so now we get to set the, set the record again for 2022. So how about we take a short break and then dive into it? 
Sounds good to me. This episode is sponsored by Raygun. Are you under increasing pressure to ship code faster than ever before? Then it's time to work smarter with Raygun's modern approach to error and performance monitoring. Raygun gives you instant visibility into the health of your software. And what makes it so unique is that not only does it tell you when something's gone wrong, it shows you exactly where it's gone wrong and how to fix it, right down to the line of code. Made by developers for developers, Raygun has built a suite of monitoring tools that are used and loved by thousands of software teams every single day. Monitor every corner of your tech stack with widespread language support and native integrations with GitHub, Jira, Slack, Bitbucket, Octopus Deploy, and more for even greater visibility. Visit raygun.com to resolve issues faster and to deliver flawless digital experiences for your users. That's raygun.com to get started on your free 14-day trial with plans starting from as little as $4 a month. And we're back. Okay, 2022 wishes. I don't know how you felt about going through this AC, but I got to admit, like I feel like in this cloudy sort of bog of a little bit of a cloudy bog as it relates to Microsoft Cloud in particular on what I want out of them over the next mm. year. And, you know, I think part of it is just, is, you know, we were talking before the show about how weird the last couple of years have been about not going to conferences and, and see, seeing what's going on more frequently and all that sort of stuff. And I honestly feel like I sat there and went, I was pretty stumped in all honesty, like about wondering what I want out of out of uh, what I would like to see and wish for out of Microsoft in the next 12 months or so. But I came up with a couple of things that I think we can discuss. We've got some commonality in, in one of them in particular. Mm-hmm. But um, why don't you lead us off with your wishes for 2022? Okay. So... For those of you who are listening to the show, CJ and I have a shared note that we're both looking at. I only have two things on my wish list right now, but I actually have three. I have like an honorable mention. Is I really feel like my two that I'm going to mention around mm. Microsoft are closely related. So one of them, they're both around Microsoft 365. Neither one of them is about any other part of Microsoft. My first one is Microsoft 365. My wish is that they show a renewed focus on consistency across the platform. And what I mean by that is that I think that when you look at Microsoft 365 as a whole, when you look at Viva Connections or Viva, when you look at Microsoft Teams, when you look at SharePoint, when you look at all these different tools from the Lists app and the To-Do app and all this different stuff, things very much feel very, very fragmented, just as they always have, but they feel like they're even more fragmented right now to where the same UX elements for to do the exact same things in different products feel like they're coming from completely different companies who have a different stock ticker. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense to me. Specifically, it's things between like, just how do you create a brand new item inside of Teams versus how you create a brand new item inside of SharePoint. The experience is so radically different. It doesn't make sense to me. There's something to be said about when you look at a platform like Apple, where everything that you do if it's from Apple, it, um, it's very intuitive because they're all almost the exact same experiences. The other one that I kind of, that kind of ties into this as well, which is the one I feel much more strongly about than what I just mentioned, is that Microsoft 365 has a much better focus or has a focus for professional developers in addition to the citizen slash low-code, no-code uh, developers. Now, let me explain what I mean by this real quick. And... 
I've debated, like I've been on the fence about putting a, writing this up and publishing this as a blog post, but I'm afraid of how it would be. It's going to take a long time to write this one because I want to make sure that I don't say this to where it's really like doing like an undercut to people at Microsoft, um, specifically in the 365 space. But I think that Microsoft 365 has, at least in the last year or two, has done a very poor job of showing any kind of attention, love, or relevance to professional developers. People like you and me, people that are the Visual Studio, the Visual Studio Code, the C Sharp, the .NET, the JavaScript, the TypeScript, the developers that are building real applications and deploying them to the Microsoft 365 platform, I think they've done a very poor job at focusing on those people. And instead, it seems like all the messaging that they're really pushing is almost exclusively, or at least focused around power platform, low code, no code. And they're saying this is basically the solution for everything that's out there. Now, I know that that's not the case. And I know that that's not exactly what they believe, but their messaging is the way it's received to the developer community, both the low code, the citizen developer, the no code developers, but also to the professional developers like me. And in speaking to professional developers, they're confused, they're frustrated, they think they're supposed to use Power Platform for stuff when they're not. And I would like to see Microsoft really just have a focus with this and actually change this. I have a bunch of evidence to back this up. This is not just anecdotal stuff from working with with Microsoft and working with their customers that it's one that I just feel they're totally missing the boat. And I don't think that they, uh, I think that professional developers are just being, well, I mean, and that's, it's fine because 365 is doing just fine in terms of growth, in terms of revenue and everything without professional developers. I'm not saying that, hey, don't forget about us. But to me, when you want to build apps, I think that there's a pretty good thing you can point to when it's like, hey, why aren't people actually building apps for teams and deploying and doing more ISV based solutions and stuff? And before people yeah. say, oh, no, they are. No, you talk to somebody at Microsoft and they will tell you that they are not happy with their numbers at all with the yeah, yeah. adoption rate. Yeah. And I think that a big piece of it is because of the way of what their professional developer story has been hmm. over the last couple of years. I think I mentioned it a few shows ago, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I did. But I feel like there isn't the vibrancy of the ecosystem, which is a symptom of what you're talking about here. The yep. vibrancy of the ecosystem around 365, and I specifically talking about ISVs, people building software products that build on or around 365 that other companies then go and use. And what I mean by a vibrancy is there's all of the traditional players that have been around for years, right? But I haven't come across standout newcomers to the space where yep. I go, holy smoke, that's a really cool idea. Yep. Right. That's what I mean by vibrancy. So I wonder, like, I think that might be a symptom of this to a certain degree, either not being able to do what you want to be able to do with it or not the people to do it or simply a lack of confidence in investing in the ecosystem. Like, I'm not yeah. sure which one of those it is or maybe a combo of all of them. But yeah, I think a bit of that probably plays into that, into this. I, yeah, and I, th I think that your last one that you just said about a lack of confidence, that's where, that's the that's the group, the camp that I'm in. I mean, you just look at something like, you look at Microsoft Teams and they have a dev tool that they create, the toolkit V1. Yeah. They created that, I think, like two to three years ago. They said, we're going to have to make major changes to this. They did a complete like, you know, change in direction and started coming up with like a developer portal and a whole new set of tools. And they're going to call it V2. And then all of a sudden, just a few months ago or a month ago, we see a V3 comes out for it. V2 never even made it to market. And it's like, why is there a V3 when V2 never was always like a beta? 
and they yeah. can't really explain that. I'm like, these kind of decisions, they just don't, they don't instill any confidence. And I think that a lot of it can be tied to the fact that, especially the teams group, they are going through people so fast. Like that org chart is so fluid that it's just, you, you don't have any kind of consistency on what a real, on what a real plan is from the top down. Yeah. The, the other one that I'll throw out there, which is like my honorable mention, uh, then you get into jump into your wishes. This has nothing to do with Microsoft, but uh, space that I spent a lot more time in the last couple of months. And I'm hoping my, my wish or my hope for next year is that we get, I'm going to call it crypto clarity, getting more clarity on things like DeFi, how governments are going to really start to, are, are going to deal with crypto, what governments are going to do, what central banks are going to do, the legal repercussions of it in the United States, the Security and Exchange Commission, mm. all that kind of stuff. Like where, where do things stand? Because a lot of things are held back because there's a lot of unknown on where these things are going to go, where, how these things are going to progress. I love the idea. I love the different, like, I love the Ethereum network and what this is going to enable for us, but, and what it does today. But seeing some things taking off like NFTs and effectively you look at like the Ethereum network and it's effect, it really just runs like this. Its scale is about like the, the scale, worldwide scale of Ethereum is like a Raspberry Pi. Yeah, yeah. When you, com- yeah. When you par- compare that to something like the, you know, Visa or MasterCard, and it's like, you got a ways to go. And I think that to see some clarity, and some investment there, or some some innovation there, I think is where we're really where I'm really hope, hopeful for. I'm really mixed on that one. From like a my perspective on it's mixed. So what I mean by that is, I agree. Like it would be great to get some more clarity around this, and and I, I think it would actually help the crypto world by opening it up to more people. They'll have more confidence that you know you're not just getting scammed out of money, basically, and things like that. So I think it would actually open it up to a whole bunch more people. The flip side of it is like, I love the whole Wild West aspect of it right now, where it's just anything goes and it's all about sort of, it's like the the beginning of a universe, right? Where it's this big this swirling morass of dust and eventually it's all going to consolidate and have a bit more clarity. But for now, it's like the beginnings of a new, of a new universe forming and the chaos and mayhem is interesting. So I, I can see, you know, that can't last forever though. And yeah, so I totally get, I totally get where you're going with it. But man, I just, I do look at things like NFT, you know, what's going on with NFTs and just go, holy smoke. Like I'm pretty sure people are being scammed out of millions of dollars, but time will tell. Yeah. Okay, CJ. So those are my wishes. What about you? What, what are your wishes for, for 2022? Uh, I got a couple. I got two and a bonus. First one is similar to what you were talking about earlier on. I hope Microsoft gets more into AR, VR than they are currently. So here's my thoughts on it, right? I think they went too early on HoloLens. Mm. HoloLens is quite a few years old now, right? That tech. And I just worry that they were a little bit too early to the game, but I still think it's recoverable. And so, you know, like you, what you were saying with Oculus Quest 2, I hope they get into more into the AR VR space. They started with Windows Mixed Reality stuff. It's still quite prominent in the VR world, but I'd like to see them do more. They can actually make nice hardware these days. Right, mm-hmm. the Hololens is pretty good hardware. The Surface line of machines is is good hardware now. The build quality and things is much better than it's ever been. You know, they used to get poo pooed for cons- you, I mean, 
you know, that's about the band, right? The consumer hardware was just a joke in the past. Oh, yeah. But, you know, they can pump out decent hardware now. So I would like to see them keep a foot in the door of this because I, I do, I definitely think there's movement in this space. Now, whether it will be what we think it currently is with VR, mm-hmm. I don't think it will be. I would, I would like to see, you know, people working on things like either retina implants or contact lenses that give you like augmented reality, like heads up display type stuff. I'd love to see Microsoft getting into some of that sort of stuff. Like, I think that'd be really cool. So yeah. I hope they don't, I hope they don't give up on HoloLens or the area, not the product per se, but um, I'd like to stay, I'd like them to stay and, and innovate some more in the AR VR space. That's a good one. I, I, I would too. I mean, I'm not going to act like I'm an expert now that I just put on a headset two days ago and started playing around with it. But it, I mean, I've played around with it in the past before and with HoloLens a bit. I, I love the concept for, I, lo- I like where they're going with it. I just would something, they still need like that killer, like that killer app kind of an idea to it. I mean, I can for see sure. like, like the Quest looks is great for like playing games and kind of just messing around with like with play stuff and pure entertainment. It's just, I've yet to see it for, and I know you use it too for like on your flight sim stuff. Yeah. I'm just waiting to see like for like the business world, the community and the the business community, which is where I see that Microsoft's VR story really seems to what their target focus was. It's demoed great. I just haven't really seen, we just haven't really seen it in the mass market yet. So I really like the idea of mixed reality in that, Mm. you know, I've seen demos of say, let's take flight sim, for example, you're in a physical cockpit, but you have a virtual world around you that when you look out the windows, for example, like mixed, properly mixed. And I just think of the applications of that in in daily life. If you didn't have to have this thing that makes you look like a complete dork on your head, what that world would look like, right? So say if you just had contact lenses that did what HoloLens did, mm-hmm. what that would mean, you'd no longer need a phone. You wouldn't mm-hmm. have to pick up and look at a phone, for example. Right. You could, you know, you just have screens appearing wherever you wanted and all that sort of stuff. You wouldn't need a TV on the wall. Right. A, it would change the world quite a lot in terms of your, your houses and, and how you conducted life. So anyway, I think there's a lot yet to go on that stuff that I'd love to see Microsoft be a part of. My second one is along similar lines to your first one, which is about Microsoft 365 development consolidation and being streamlined. It's just a dog's breakfast. Is that the right term? Yeah, it's just a mess. It's all over the show. It's sloppy. There's lots of different ways of doing things and different parts of the thing. It's shipping the org chart. It's dis- disconnected. And it's really hard for people looking to build stuff for 365 to figure out what the model is because it's like it really depends. It's like, well, we need a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this other thing, a little bit of this other thing. You've got to go learn all of those different, you know, APIs are obviously being consolidated quite a lot with graph, but there's still a bit of work to go on that. But then the, you know, how you hook into different parts of the UI and where and all that, and it just, it could really do with some coming together. Yeah. I think it'd make it a lot more attractive for people. I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're definitely on the same page on that one. I, I couldn't agree more. And then my bonus round is robots. This is like a far out there thing, but I would love to see Microsoft get into more around physical automation and, mm-hmm. and things because there's a lot of interesting stuff going on around robots at CES this year, which is going on as we speak. Right. And the, the hardware and things is getting pretty sophisticated. And I think there's a big opportunity for Microsoft, both on the consumer side, but also on the commercial side 
around robotics and automation. And so it's pretty far out there and I've seen nothing that suggests they will get into this. But uh, I would like to see them do something around that. I think it'd be cool, especially how, you know, cloud connected and controlling, like it's essentially like Terminator IoT. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because like, like in the past, you know, that was always that was so so far fetched because like the ability for uh, robots to have uh, connectivity and being able to assume that things would have connectivity and how's this stuff going to work in the past? I don't know. Almost even with these like with these VR headsets, that it surprised me. Like, how in the world are we going to be able to have a VR headset? It's not connected to something. Oh, it's just connected via Wi-Fi. Like, oh. Okay, that makes sense. But when's you, Wi-Fi not ubiquitous, or when's like cellular not ubiquitous? Like that's so rare now that it, and speed is in the the lack of bandwidth is so rare in the majority of the of the world, the majority of the world not landmass, majority of the world where people are, that it isn't that far that far fetched anymore to be yeah. able to have that thing things constantly connected and being able to con- and constantly monitor. Yep, I agree. So it would be kind of cool. I think they've got Skynet, they've got Azure and AI. They've got IoT for you know controlling lots of devices. So now they just need the devices. There we go. I like it. I like <laughs> and it. And then we've got then we've got the good guy Terminator, surely. Well, hey, IoT is all the sensors, right? We already have that size. Now we just have to have the actuators and the things to be able to move it around. Exactly. Yeah. Those are good. Um, all right. How about we get into some goals? We'll so- uh, we'll we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by Geomont. Have you thought about adding contact center capabilities into your existing Microsoft Teams user base? If so, take advantage of our promo to add BuzzEasy Contact Center for Teams from Geomont and get your first month subscription for free. It's a complete omni-channel experience that works seamlessly with Teams Voice. BuzzEasy was developed with best practices in Azure and offers a rich, easy-to-use experience. Geomont is a Microsoft Gold Partner, part of the Technology Adoption Program, and their BuzzEasy chatbot solution for Teams has been chosen as a preferred solution on the Microsoft App Store. See the show notes for details around a special offer. And now, back to the show. Okay, so the wishes were more sort of ambitious, like, what do we wish they would do, not what they'll actually necessarily do. Right. Goals are what we hope we personally do in the next year. Yep. So why don't you lead us off with your goals for 2022? All right. So these are going to sound very similar to what I did, what I had for 2021. And let's do I just failed at them. But I have a renewed focus, a renewed plan, and a better, much more clarity going forward. So looking back at 2021... There were two things that I really wanted to be able to do is I wanted to grow my business, Voitanos, my online training business. I wanted to grow it beyond Microsoft 365. Specifically, it really just focuses on SharePoint framework with a touch on an exam prep. But I would really like to grow it beyond that. And in doing that, it's not just growing the courses that I that I offer, but it's also growing the audience at the same time. So I'm not going to get into too much specifics in terms of how things are going to, what my plans are there because it's business stuff. And I don't think that's where people are really tuning into it. But I have some very specific targets and goals over the next one month, sorry, one quarter, first half of the of the year and the entire year on where I want to be. So it's two of my three goals are for Voitanos. One is grow the audience and two is to grow like my course catalog. My other goal that I really want to have, and that I've I've touched on this a couple different times, and I try to pick things that are very specific, but I I found that I'm I'm better at not picking something specific and instead being a little bit more generic in what I want to say here, because it really is going to be one of those like, you know, when do you have time and what's your interest level? 
And for me, I want to learn two new, let's just say tech things. I want to learn a new language, new platform, new something. And part of that this past year has been crypto. I also want to dive into, get into Go or to like Python or microcontrollers or .NET, something like that. That's the next big thing I want to do. I'm probably going to be like Go or Python, but we'll see where that is from there. Yeah, microcontrollers. That's, those are fun. Do some Arduino stuff with the... Uh, that's something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be super fun. All right, CJ. So those are my goals. How about you? What are your goals for 2022? <laughs> okay. I've got three. I want to ship a personal project. So I have this habit of starting things and not finishing them, you know, sort of on the side stuff that interests me that I, that I start building and then sort of just don't see it through. And so I've talked about this a couple of times over the years of wanting to ship something. I still have this as a hope that I, a hope and a goal for, for me that I, that I, I ship something outside of my day job. So ship plenty of things during my day job, but I feel a motivation and sense of that I haven't, I haven't completed this goal of yet shipping a personal project. And so I'd like to try and do that this year. I work in the golf industry now. So my day job is CTO at About Golf, where we make big sort of high-end virtual golf simulators. I'm not really a golfer. Like I can hit a golf ball and I'm not very good at it, but I would like to learn more. So I want to take golf lessons, just some swing lessons, nothing too serious, but I want to be able to get around a golf course without looking like a complete tool. So <laughs> that would be good, uh, which is quite funny because we build virtual golf simulators. So getting around a golf course is slightly different than out in the real world, but I would like to be able to do both. Yeah. And then my third one, I, I changed this while we were talking so we didn't have overlap because I was umming and ahhing about this one. I want to go to a conference that's out of the ordinary for me. And so what I mean by that is I want to go to a conference that has absolutely nothing to do with what I do. I don't want to go to a, I want to go to something like an automotive conference or a, some sort of other industry conference like I don't know, maybe robotics would be kind of an interesting one. It's not exactly what, you know, I don't work in robotics, but it is tech. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know CES is going on right now. I was very close to going to CES this year, but it was, you know, obviously with the pandemic and stuff, I wasn't comfortable with that. But I'd love to go to, I'd love to go to a CES sometime. I think that would be just awesome fun or something really wild and out there around like medicine or, you know, something that I know nothing about. Yeah. And for the sole reason of just sort of expanding my horizons, like I said earlier in the show, I feel like the last couple of years I've had this like this creative cloud over me, and and I feel that going to something like this is, would be a great way to just get a new view on something that I know nothing about, would get the creative juices flowing again, and I'd learn stuff, and mm. uh, that seems really interesting to me. I don't know how realistic that one is, you know, just given what's going on in the world right now, but. Hopefully, you know, at some point I'll feel comfortable enough to to go do that. I have a friend this week who's at CES who says it's a shadow of its former self. Feels really weird. A lot of the big players pulled out. And so, yeah, I'm not I'm not sad I missed that one. But I would like to go to something that's a bit sort of more out there for me, not just the standard Microsoft shows that I would normally go to. Yeah, that's a good one. I've done I've done that once. Uh, well, I've done I've done that for one conference a couple of different times. It's nice being a complete consumer, 
and not having like a business objective or something like that, or, you know, how, what, is it something you want to, you're trying to enrich yourself, you're trying to learn from, or is it something you're trying to, you know, is it yeah. to, to like, for me, I went to like a small business conference, which it was interesting to me, but I had nothing to offer other than just networking, which is totally out of my wheelhouse. Normally going mm-hmm. to a conference, it's, I'm usually the subject, a subject matter expert. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. It's a different, that's vibe. a really good one. That's a, that's a really good one. I like that. I went to PAX, the, oh, yeah. the video game conference. This was a couple of years ago. And I actually got tickets to go this year, but didn't end up going. But it's not just video games. It's gaming in general. But there's a lot about video game, tabletop games. Yeah. And just going to like the indie game development section where there's like one or two person companies, right? Who are making these little games and they come up with some incredibly creative stuff. It's great seeing them come to fruition. And we've bought a couple of them once they've released and they're really fun. And so it just seeing seeds of innovation like that was really has been really motivating and interesting. And so I'd love to go see that, but sort of outside of my normal profession stuff. That's cool. I like that. Mm. I like that. Those are good. Nice goals. So well, maybe we got some we can, good goals for this year. Yeah, maybe in 12 months we're looking back at what we did today and uh we're not disappointed in how ambitious we were in some of the things we said. We said. I hope not. I hope I'm not sitting here with my heads, my hands, and my my head in my hands, saying, "Oh no, what about the Schmomahomicron variant?" And it totally derailed everything. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. And I do just want to toss this out here real quick. I'm going to pause. If it, if it sounds like I've been like jumping around left and right here, I've had a. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Out of the blue, we had a service call show up at our house for something that broke that has to get fixed. And apparently there was a miscommunication on the timing. I'm here by myself and service guy shows up. So if you hear the, you could hear the doorbell ring one or two times and <laughs> say it was, this was ended up being a very bad time to record a podcast. And I didn't all, know that until we were 30 minutes into it. It's all going on at the Connell household. Oh my God. Anyway, yeah, it's not. All right. Well, let's, well, let's, let's move on and let's wrap it up then and get into some picks. Sounds good. ACs Voitanos delivers on demand video based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. All right, AC, what do you got for us this week? All right. So the James Webb Space Telescope, it launched on Christmas Day. I still love the vote that's going around right now that everyone should says that the launch of the James Webb Telescope that happened on Christmas Day should now be considered a Christmas movie, just like Die Hard and a couple other movies that are out there. <laughs> I do love that idea. It's so good. But that's not what this is about. So you and I were texting uh, one morning about like, you know, when all the stuff that's going on with the telescope, by now they've done almost the complete deployment is almost done with it. Now it's just got to get to its destination. But the entire unfurling of the heat shield, the sun shield, the mirrors, the secondary mirror, almost everything has gone completely to plan. And I was wondering, I'm like, you know, I wonder if you can actually like, you know, get access to the signals that it's sending back to be able to read like what the telescope is is responding, not to be able to control it, not to hijack it, but hmm. can you actually see this? And this guy named Daniel Estevez, apologies if I missed that, I messed that up a little bit. He's clearly a amateur radio person. Well, I found a blog post. He's actually got two blog posts on this where he was able to start like getting some collecting some of the radio transmissions that were coming back from the telescope and being able to slice and dice and start to understand 
some things, some of the signals that we're getting back. Some of it is, is data that he's picked up, data that he's picked up that's been made available from the Deep Space Network. But before this thing really gets too far away from us, he was able to pick up some of this and start picking through it. There is absolutely, I understand very little of this, but I found it fascinating to read through this guy's article to where he's like, you know, look, this wow. is where this where it's talking about these things and these things and these things. Like, this is so freaking cool. That is so interesting. I will definitely read that. Yeah. He's got and this one. Nothing about, you know, radio related stuff, really. Yeah. A few of the basics, but nothing serious. That'd be very interesting to look into. Yeah, he's got two articles on it. Uh, one of them is the one that I linked to, which is decoding the James Webb Space Telescope. And then he has another one that, that followed very soon after that on New Year's Day or New Year's Eve of the um, James Webb Space Telescope sequential ranging. And awesome. It, yeah, it's really cool. So how about you? I've got a, what I thought was an absolutely interesting watch on YouTube. It's half an hour long. It's called How Crash Bandicoot Hacked the Original PlayStation by in the War Stories series from Ars Technica. Huh. So it's an interview with the co-founder, Andy Gavin, from Naughty Dog, who created Crash Bandicoot for the original PlayStation. And he talks about the story and history of the PlayStation and how they built Crash Bandicoot and why it was so groundbreaking at the time for consoles and how they managed to do what they did on such a limited device. And getting it, this was really the beginning of the 3D gaming era. And they talked about, he talked about just clever software tricks for how they managed to build a game that just looked better than so many other of the games that came out for PlayStation at the time. That was so much more in depth and large, and how it was not just a bland sort of 2D type game, that it was really pushing the 3D limits. Anyway, it's a really interesting read uh, or listen or watch, I suppose. <laughs> if you're into software, they, he, you know, you're like, holy smoke. Like they really did sort of have to hack the way PlayStation worked to be able to push it the way they did to get the game that they wanted. And it's just, I love these stories of like when they've got, very limited resources on what you can do on that machine and what they wanted to do and how they managed to cross that bridge between trying to get what they wanted versus what it could do and try to squeeze every little bit of blood from the stone or trying to squeeze blood from a stone to get to get the game they ultimately wanted to build. And you're like, man, yeah, Crash Bandicoot, I guess, blah, blah, wasn't that great? And, blah, blah. and then you look back and you're like, actually, yeah, holy smoke. It was like a whole new almost genre-creating game when PlayStation came out. And then it obviously went on to be massively successful. So really cool watch, but it's very focused around the software of how they built the game for that console and what it was like working with Sony and no documentation and you know dev kits and all this stuff and the limited one megabyte of memory and stuff like that. So it was great. Really interesting watch. This is... Okay, so... It's on my it's on my watch later list now on YouTube. But there's like an inner link to this or an inner link pick to this that I didn't see. Like so, this is all from the Ars Technica channel, and they have this whole series called War Stories. Yeah, and it takes a it, it, quote. It says it takes an in depth look at the biggest hurdles developers face when creating some of the most popular video games of all time. And I mean, there's going all the way back to there's one here 
about um, how Forza's racing AI uses neural networks to evolve. Like, oh my God, I'm diving in. You just totally sent me down a completely different different (laughs) thread. So many interesting ones, right? There's another one here. How Prince of Persia defeated Apple II's memory limitations. I saw that one too. That's I want to I watch that one. How Mist almost couldn't run on CD-ROM. Yeah. Oh, you're picking like, all the ones I was. On, I want to watch. <laughs> so many keepers. Like, there's going to be some. There's going to be some good ones in here. I haven't watched all of these, but yeah, I thought this one in particular was really interesting. A friend put me onto it, or sorry, a friend and colleague put me onto it, and uh, yeah, fascinating how they got it to got it to where it is. This is too cool. Oh my God, look at this. Mech Warrior 5, Command and Conquer. Yeah, yeah thanks, CJ. There goes my afternoon. All right, let's call it at that. We've looked at our wishes and goals for 2022. Let's go get them. Microsoft, go get, your, go get our wishes, please. That'd be great. <laughs> and we will catch you all next week. Sounds good. Good to see you again, man. See ya. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in your favorite podcast app. It helps people find out about our show and grow our audience, and we'd really appreciate it. If you have a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com forward slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or MP3 and provide us a link so we can play it on the show. You can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up for our mailing list by heading over to microsoftcloudshow.com, where you'll get notices of each episode as well as the show notes sent to you directly each week. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening.